Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I'm your host, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. George Rosca Jr. George, how's it going? Doing well, Marcus. How are you? Doing great. I'm actually super ecstatic and pumped. Uh, as we all know, the Los Angeles Lakers clinched their 17th championship last night, and in a very terrible year this is definitely a highlight so i am super happy i'll probably be happy until the rest to the end of 2020 so uh you know crossing our fingers for 2021 but i am super (laughs) ecstatic but i'm also excited to be here sitting with you getting ready getting ready to talk about this topic that we're going to talk about but um before we get into that uh i'd like to give you a chance to introduce yourself in case uh there are listeners out there who don't know you so go ahead sure appreciate it uh my name is george roska uh i was born in romania uh, under the communist regime of uh, Nicolae Ceausescu and came here at a young age, uh, almost seven years old, came straight into first grade. We came here in the month of September. So right when school started, still remember we had to go scramble to get all of our vaccines. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we got here and a couple days later went straight to school. Um, the eighth of 12 children and uh, I have eight sisters, um, which has uh, marked me for life. <laughs> and uh, I'm married now. I have uh, four kids of my own, three boys and a girl. Um, you know, and I took advantage of everything that, you know, the opportunities here in America uh, that were open for, for me, especially being the younger um, uh, in my family. The older brothers and sisters did a lot of the heavy lifting. You know, they they went to you know, full-time work, then maybe did some college afterwards, and some went on and completed the bachelor's, but we really were blessed in the younger half of the family. Uh, Got my uh, bachelor's in civil engineering, and during that same time, I was uh, doing my uh, theological seminary as well, Uh, so I finished that, and then uh, later on, after I started work in civil engineering, I went back to get my master's. I got my MBA, and um, everything else is history. So as you listeners may know, uh, the biggest reason I asked George to be on is because uh, we are both civil engineers. So <laughs> it's one of many reasons. Uh, but I think you are the first civil engineer that I have on. So that's that's actually, I think it's the first engineer in general. Uh, I'll have to backtrack in case I'm wrong. Uh, but like, like I said, thank you for, for agreeing to be on here. Um, I think the last time we connected was a little over a year ago. Um, you are uh, a member of the West Coast Gospel, mm-hmm. along with Emi Antemia, Adi Lup, and Adi uh, Kovac. So uh, I remember a year and a half ago or so, uh, I got a call from Emi Antemia saying like, hey, we're going to be in town this day. Do you guys want to collaborate and sing a song with the choir and orchestra? And I was like, absolutely. You know, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even ask permission from like the, the other uh, music ministry leaders. So um, we got together and in three weeks, we got a song ready. We sang and uh, it was awesome because down here I'm part of also a, a men's quartet so uh, when we started five years ago um, you guys were like our model you know we like we really li- liked your music we were like okay we're, we're gonna try to be the next west coast gospel so <laughs> so when we got together um, with that octet plus the choir and orchestra it was just uh, an amazing experiences and we are both the bass singers so that's another yet another thing in common that we have but that was great I was excited that was fun and then uh, fast forward a year later, we're here and we're going to talk about 
um, this very interesting topic. This may very be our very last episode of the Potter's House, just because we may get shut down. I'm totally kidding, by the way. Uh, but it is quite controversial, not only in society, not only in the world, but I think in a lot of churches in America today. So today we're going to answer the question, can we as Christians support the Black Lives Matter movement? Now, um, George, I was following you on, on Facebook and I was seeing the different posts and the articles that you were sharing and um, your your opinion, your advice on these issues. And that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to reach out because I think a lot of Christians today, not only in the Romanian community, but all across America need to know what is behind this. Is They need to know whether or not they can support this, they can put their following behind this, because um, it's a sensitive issue, and we've gotten to the point where, you know, if you don't support it, you're against it. You know, silence is violence is what they're they're trying to preach. So um, before we, we're just going to get right into it. Um, so Black Lives Matter, I mean, the first time I heard about it was about seven years ago, uh, but where did Black Lives Matter start? How did it start? What are the pillars that are holding it up? And uh, yeah, how, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, for for me, I was introduced to BLM probably a little more recently. Um, I was just so busy with life. And it wasn't until two and a half years ago when the topic of education kind of woke me up to what's really going on in society. And that's when everything just started to unfold and, and, and came together. And, and this summer, especially with the whole pandemic and then the, the social unrest and the BLM topic becoming so popular, I decided to really look into it and to understand what's going on. So, you know, I found <clears throat> some very interesting things. Right from the beginning, I had an uneasiness with how this whole topic came to the forefront. For me, it just seemed like so quickly. It's like, where did we go from like nothing being mentioned to all of a sudden, this is the, the biggest issue, especially when we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Yeah. So how can something beat that, you know, one-up it? Um, and so I, I went directly to the website of BLM, and I was just shocked because as opposed to most other organizations of this nature, um, who have a you know probably a much better PR campaign? They're more polished. Th- these people were blatantly honest about who they were, uh, about what they stood for, and so um, that's where I started the journey of like really figuring out what what BLM is. So they did start seven years ago. Yeah, in 2013, uh, there was three um, three biological women even though they don't all all of them don't uh, adhere to their biological femaleness um so uh, alicia garza patrice coolers uh and the third one opal tomedi and each one of these three women have a very interesting background they're 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 all my age which is shocking to see what kind of an influence you know people can have but i think that also should be inspirational that you know, young people like us uh, could you know, uh, and should you know, stand up and start you know, speaking truth. Um, so yeah, so that that's when I I first this really this summer started digging into it, and two of them uh, came out and have said clearly on on television um, that they are trained Marxists, uh, and so 
they they claim to be well skilled in different um, you know ideologies. So they they understand you know the Christian worldview, they understand the Marxist worldview, they understand the atheist worldview. They they know. So everything they do is very intentional, and we'll get into some of those other intentional things probably in some of the other questions we'll handle. So in 2013, I think what kickstarted this, from what I remember in the news, um, was the killing of Trayvon Martin. That's mm-hmm. where like it really came to the news, and um, I think it was a young kid in Florida. And I remember this was thir- 2013 because um, LeBron James was currently playing for the Miami Heat, and their whole team, who was you know the hot team of that of, the, of those few years, um, they were speaking out against the killing of Trayvon Martin, and this is that was the first time it came to um, the national like news. And um, and I remember hearing that, and I remember first hearing the Black Lives Matter chanting, the movement, the posters, the protests, and while. You know, I, I couldn't necessarily align myself with it back then. I thought it was a little less imposing back then. Mm. I didn't see it as, um, like I said, imposing on our values, on our quote unquote white privilege, mm. uh, if, if that even exists. Um, but, it, you know, it came to, you know, it rose up for a couple of months until the, you know, George Zimmerman's trial. And then it kind of died down. And then, uh, you know, now, what, end of May of this year uh, with the George Floyd killing, it just shot right back up in the middle of a pande- pandemic, like you said. And then not only did it raise awareness for future you know, brutalities, but uh, they were digging up past cases. Mm-hmm. I know uh, Breonna Taylor has been in the news recently uh, just with you know her case going on. Um, but her so she died two months before the George, George Floyd killing. So her case didn't crack local news. But then, as soon as that uh, you know that thing went downhill at the end of May, they started bringing everything back up to the light, and they started trying to dig things that weren't there against other people who may have been innocent. So um, that was my exposure, and uh, you know we know, like you said, uh, two of them are out like Marxists. That's what they believe. That's what they practice, and it's especially uh, terrifying to us considering um, you know our culture and our background and know where my parents came from and where your family and you came from um so that that's where i heard of it but um considering the black lives matter movement i know it was a little under the radar a few years ago but now that it's out in the open uh, what are the pillars that it stands on what are what are the if, if you support this movement what are you signing up for well f- first of all you're signing up for an anti-god movement and in their what we believe statement it's very clear over and over uh, not necessarily that they come out and say we are anti-God exclamation point, but in everything that you read, it just the dogma lives in them. Uh, to quote somebody famous, right? Uh, they really believe, um, you know, that. Um, for example, they say when we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. I mean, who, who designed heteronormativity? You know, I never even knew it was a word until a year ago. Um, and th- this whole notion of we have to free ourselves, you know, from these rigid, you know, white male societal structures that have been imposed on us for centuries. Um, you know, they, they are very clever in the way that they use words. 
So first, they're completely anti-God. They are the anti-God in the way that God has intended for creation to work. Secondly, they are anti-family. And this one, like, shocked me. I'm like, wow, they, they really said this. They said, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. And when I read that, I'm like, okay, I, I love that you are, in Romanian, we have a saying that you're pros de sincer. You're, you're yeah. stupidly sincere, right? Um, I, I love the fact that they were honest enough to say it, but also that they were ignorant enough to say that it's Western prescribed. no. It's, it's biblically prescribed, you know, and Western um, civilization, they confuse it because, yes, it's so heavily influenced by Judeo-Christian thinking, but this isn't Western prescribed. It's biblically prescribed. Yeah, absolutely. And so that one was just, you know, blatantly erroneous. Uh, the other, the third thing is that they are completely anti-science. So... This is mainly because of who they are, uh, the, the three founders. One of them is married to a transgender male activist. So she's a lesbian, right? Because she married a transgender male. But she's not. She's actually married a male, you know? Oh, okay. So, so, you know, the other one considers uh, herself to be a queer activist. So the whole queerness... Uh, you know, uh, I call it a faith-based thing, you know. Um, all of that resides in who they are and they portray it in this movement. And we, are, we already know that there's only two, you know, sexes, biological sexes. It's male and female. You can go ask any, you know, I mean, we, we've mapped the, the human genome. We know all of that, right? So for me, they are completely anti-science. Um, and the last thing I'll say, what comes out consistently is anti-capitalism. Anything free market, anything freedom, you know, free market, free thought, free choice, freedom to associate, anything that has come out of the ideals of Western culture and civilization, uh, they are against. And I, I was shocked to see in their writings that they say that we engage comrades. I mean, who uses the word comrades anymore? You have to be a communist to really love that term. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so yeah. So, it's just, it's shocking how blatant they are about it. And, you know, in the past, I mean, what I love about the fact that they did this is if, if I would have come on this podcast and would have made all these four claims, you know, anti-God, anti-family, anti-science, you know, anti-capitalism— People oh, that's, would say that's a conspiracy theory. Oh, George, you're just, you know, implying. It's all implied. It's, it's you know, covert. It's not overt. But they're saying it right up front. And even though when they say it right up front, people still are like, no, 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 no. There's something more behind BLM. There's, there's something better behind it. And it's like, no, no, no. This is it. This is what they're saying. Don't read any more into it. They're so blatant. And like you said, in the past, and it's not even that far in the past. I think 10 years ago, if we would have... Uh, made these accusations, talked about these topics, um, they would have considered us conspiracy theorists. And, you know, like you said, it's, it's so ironic that they're so anti-capitalism and they're the ones preaching freedom of themselves and they need to be free, free from what? I don't know, from the constructs that were set by God. Uh, that's what they need to be free. And then, you know, your your founders are identifying as as 
they're identifying as things that we don't even understand. <laughs> now imagine our children trying to understand that in the in the education system. Yeah. Uh, sorry, in the indoctrination system, as we yes. like to call it. Uh, we no longer have education. It's called indoctrination. So be careful for your kids. But that's a different episode. Um, but what it, al- what also strikes me about their anti capitalism is that they choose to be fully funded by capitalists. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why are you taking money? I mean, that's like immoral. It goes yeah. against every one of their values. Like how did Soros make his money? And now you're taking his money. Exactly. So it's, 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 they contradict themselves. They're not being honest. And I mean, it goes to show what kind of um, organization they are. So uh, that's it. Anti-God, anti-family, anti-science, anti-everything. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to prescribe that as the new norm um, from what we're used to. But um, considering all these different things, I know it's probably an obvious question to answer now, uh, especially since we started off with anti-God. But considering all these different things, um, can we as Christians, even though we are against you know, uh, racial injustice, that's not, that's not something we support. Uh, we believe that God you know, created everyone in his image. You know, Christ came Amen. to die for the whole world not just a specific race. And then when Jesus Christ was crucified and raised again, you know, not only the Jews, but now the Gentiles have an opportunity for salvation. So we believe all that. That's, that's the, pillar of our Christ, the pillars of our Christian faith. Um, but can Christians, no matter, no matter the denomination, no matter uh, if you come from a more conservative background, from a little more, uh, I don't want to say liberal, but non-conservative background, can we as Christians support and align ourselves with this Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah, and this is a very fair question because if you would have asked me the question in in May, I would have given you a slightly different answer Um, just because I, over the course of these last four to five months, um, I've come to realize that in the past, people have said, well, you can't support the organization, but you can support the movement. Because BLM is an organization. Uh, they have their own website. They have their own you know, structure. They're organized. They have their local chapters. But what I've come to find out as I've been researching to see, okay, well, you know, who else is behind this movement? It, it's really BLM. So BLM has really become synonymous, not just as the organization, but they are the movement. Um, And I I think that's something very important for Christians to understand is that, you know, this isn't the civil rights movement of the 1960s. This isn't where, you know, pastors and preachers were getting up and leading the charge, truly peacefully marching, you know, um, and, you know, with, with God's word, you know, uh, you know, going up and saying, we're, we're claiming what we have a right to. And interestingly enough, they also went right back to, you know, our declaration of, of independence, you know, claiming that, you know, we are equal endowed by our creator, you know, with the, the same rights. So I would say emphatically that as Christians, we cannot support the organization or the movement today because it's really one in the same. And yeah, like it, pastors back in the 60s in the civil rights movement, they were aligning, the, they were aligning themselves with, um, with Martin Luther King Jr. and all these other activists, and it was a God-given right that was not being given to them. 
um, by you know the the social constructs back then, 50 years ago. Uh, but it's sad to see that history tends to repeat itself, and now we see pretty big name pastors aligning themselves with the Black Lider, Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, I. Um, well, I think it was a blackout Tuesday on social media. People would post their black boxes on their uh, on their social media, making a statement. And I saw so many members from these big churches at Hillsong, and uh, I, I can't say the other ones because I I don't follow those. But I'm sure other big names were doing that. Um, even you know, Carl Lentz, uh, the ones in Australia, like these big name Christian uh, leaders, worship leaders, pastors. They were making videos, going to the peaceful protests, which they were peaceful at the, the ones that they attended to, but they were so blind to what was going on. And that's so dangerous for um, society and Christians today because they don't they don't see what's what's at face value. They, they're being sucked in because they're, they feel obligated to have an emotional response with um, these tragic uh, incidents. And then they're just aligning themselves with something that does not agree to what the what to what the word of God says so um, hopefully you know, more people more Christians more faithful Christians can stand up and uh, say what's right because if not people are going to be led astray and um, you know Satan's an angel of light he's gonna come he's gonna try to deceive you he's gonna try to very slowly and uh, inconspicuously chip away at the foundation that you built your faith on so uh, we pray that that doesn't happen but I hear a lot of like you said, anti-God. Anti-God is one of the pillars of the Black Lives Matter movement, and I and I hear a lot of liberals today, a lot of anti-God people, um, attack the Word of God and attack certain things that are taken out of context in the Bible, and uh, they refer to certain figures, and then they try to, uh, you know, bring up racism that took place in the Bible, and we see a few areas and um what question i want to ask you right now is did blatant racism exist in biblical times and if they did how in what context can we see it as um to make sure that we're not uh being confused by the people who are preaching otherwise yeah i mean you know the what i love about the bible is it basically covers just about every topic that's you know important to humanity um and when it comes to racism I think one of the first things we have to realize is that the Bible doesn't use the word racism because race is a social construct. And it actually, the word race and the idea of race comes out of evolutionary thinking. Yeah. Um, And, you know, this is something very interesting for for me growing up. So, um, you know, I was born in Romania and I had never heard the word race in Romanian, you know? And when we came to America, here we are, you know, first grade on Scantrons, you know, every test you take, right? You have to say your race, then you have to say your ethnicity, and then And I never understood the difference. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because as a, you know, as a young boy, I just grew up in a Christian family, grew up going to church, and I just, I didn't know about the concept of race. I knew that we were Romanian, but beyond that, I just knew we were human beings. Um, what was also interesting to me is we flew out from Bucharest and we had uh, we landed in JFK. So here's a white boy who had never seen black people in his life. Uh, I've been surrounded my entire life by, by white people. 
Um, in fact, I even asked my mom this summer the question. I asked her because she was born in that same town that, that we were born in and raised. Had she ever seen a person of another color in her life? She said no. Um, I asked my dad the same question, and he said probably like less than a handful because he grew up in Timisoara, which is a bigger city, and in the university area, sometimes there were some foreign students from Northern Africa. So he he did say that he saw you know a couple black people in his life, but for a family that had never seen people outside of their own color for basically the majority of their life or all of their life. We landed at JFK, and I remember seeing people of all colors, and I never blinked. I never felt like, oh, I'm different than them. Oh, these people are scary, you know, to me. Even as a child, as a young boy, because I only grew up in the church with the concept of humanity and ethnicity, not race and ethnicity. Um, And I, I think that's very important because... If we're going to be talking in terms of the way the world wants us to talk, they always want us to talk about race. Um, so in the Bible, to come back to, to the question, um, the Bible will never talk about race the way that the world talks about it. It talks about it in terms of uh, partiality, in terms of pr- ethnic prejudices. Uh, you see that, for example, the people of Israel, um, you know, they had something um, you know, with the Sumerians, yeah. you know, um, you know, they had something really against the Gentiles because they felt like they were God's chosen people and they really didn't fulfill their calling of going out into the world and being the light for the nations. Um, and, you know, when Jesus came, he changed all of that. Um, and we do have uh, plenty of examples in the Old Testament of how, um, you know, God had instructed the children of Israel to be welcoming of the stranger. There were obviously rules and regulations on how those strangers would have to assimilate within, not not necessarily the culture, but um, the religious norms that God had imposed, um, and you know some of the civil laws. Obviously, in the New Testament, we see even maybe in uh, the early church, you know, the Gentile um, widows weren't, you know, the the Greek widows weren't necessarily as taken care of as the Jewish widows. And, um, you know, God corrected that right from the beginning. They assigned, you know, seven deacons to come in and to, to assist and to handle those needs. So, yes, we do see forms of racism, but it's not always the way that, you know, we uh, ascribe it to it today, where today it's always you know, white versus the rest of the world, the rest of the other colors, you know. And I totally agree. I think when I was growing up, so I, I was obviously born here and uh, grew up here in Southern California, and that's where I started school. Um, but, you know, I, I, I grew up going to school in the early 2000s. That's when I was going through elementary school. And it was, I mean, no issue at all. I mean, I didn't hear of anything. Uh, I was friends with you know, people of color. Um, I grew up in Riverside, so I had friends who were African-American. I had friends who were Mexican. And then I moved to Irvine for high school. I had a lot of friends who were either um, from one of the Arabic countries or from uh, one of the Asian countries. So um, I didn't really see it much growing up. And 
I think at that time, it was still an age of, you know, education, an age of, you know, bringing people together. And then, um, you know, now, once, uh, at least in California, once, um, uh, you know, liberals kind of took over the the government, and they're starting to push their own agendas, they're trying to add new things. And now they're trying to, um, they even attacked Trump for this, uh, trying to, he, he took down the, it was mentioned in the debate with uh, Biden, he took down the, um, the program for uh, it was like social and like like race awareness or something like that. Sensitivity training. Sensitivity training. So all of that is uh, you know uh, co- unconscious bias training that what most of the companies call them corporate America. Um, it, it's just the avenue, the entry point for them to bring in critical race theory and all of that. And it's it's crazy to think because obviously. I mean, a, a normal human attribute, normal human trait is to kind of congregate with people who are like you, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of how we go about things. And I think the issue is our response to people who are not like us, how we treat other people. Yeah, that you can talk about that, but um, racial sensitivity and it's, we, you know, congregate with the people that we're like, because we're more comfortable with those people now. Treating them like human beings, like God's creation, that's that's on us. Uh, but that's not the issue that they're bringing up. And uh, one thing that the that's really been on the news is this term that was invented three months ago called systemic racism. Mm-hmm. I have never heard of the word systemic racism before, or the, the term, um, because I never, no one ever knew it existed in our um, organizations, in our police force, in our governments, and any structure that is out there. Um, but what is the difference between actual racism that we've seen in all throughout human history and then this new coin term, systemic racism? <clears throat> yeah, I've tried to really understand this one. Um, and at, at the root, it's basically uh, whenever you can't prove something, you got to make up something. Yeah. Um, and so when it's not overt, you know, then it must be covert, you know, but it must be still there because your preconceived notion says it is, um, you know, that interesting, like that same train of thought, you know, came into the church where, you know, woke Christianity tries to tell people that, you know, they are guilty, you know, of their white privilege of systemic racism, not by virtue of anything that they've committed, but by virtue of omission. You know, and it's not implicit sin, it's complicit in sin. And they've tried to twist and turn, you know, every which way to be able to, you know, demonstrate, you know, that they, they're right. Uh, really, the difference it lies into in, in that, overt or covert. So if in the past, slavery was legal, that's blatant racism. If, you know, post-slavery, you know, during the Jim Crow area, era, you had, you know, segregation that was all legal, you know, that's blatant racism. But for the last 50 years, we, we don't have either of those. And, um, you know, as, as America dealing with the demons of our past, um, you know, we, we are consistently striving for those ideals that have been written in our Constitution and in the Declaration of Independence. And so, um, for me, I almost feel like uh, the, the progressive side needed to continue on with the race. You know, the race has just been politicized. 
So what do you do? Well, you, you make it up that it still exists in an invisible form in societal structures. Uh, maybe the policemen themselves are not racist, but the rules they follow and they implement uh, are racist by nature, you know, and so they are committing acts of racism without knowing it. Um, and so this is where the whole thing about divesting yourself of your whiteness, of your racism, you know, comes from. Uh, you, you don't even know that you're a racist, but you, you have to repent of it, you know. And I mean, what I see is the major difference. And, you know, we're not we're not denying that racism doesn't uh, or that racism exists. Right. Yeah. We're not denying that racism exists. Um but we are denying its its source. It's not because of some, uh, you know, white man construct or whatever they're trying to blame it on. Racism is a symptom of the one true disease that all human beings not only have, but were born with, and that is sin. Yep. And then racism is just one of the manifestations of that sin, right? One of the manis- manifestations of hate. Um, you know, Jesus tells us in Matthew, if we, if we hate our brother, we have committed murder in our heart. And whether it's, you know, someone close to us, whether it's someone that is of the same race or of a different race, um, you're committing the same sin. And like you said, since this organization is anti-God and they're trying to divert our attention from the true root of this issue, they're trying to make it about, um, you know, the people who have been quote unquote ruling all this time. It's about the white man. It's because, you know, the white man had privileges all this all this time, and then women only got rights later on, and then the uh, colored people only got rights later on. So they're trying to divert the attention from God, and I think we see that in almost every aspect of um, atheism, liberalism, uh, everything where we uh, see anti-God things being preached. They're trying to divert from the real issue, but the real issue, I think, is from the heart. It is from sin, and because we are born in sin, because... Um, the, those people who have not been born again, I mean, racism is just one way of showing that, that true sin. So um, you mentioned a term, woke Christ- Christianity. Mm-hmm. Now, again, this is another thing that was recently invented because um, I think maybe 20 years ago we didn't really have this issue. Uh, but now with, um, you know, the the ripped jeans movement when it comes to our <laughs> pastors and their, and their uh, you know, their, their red-colored J's, uh, what is so? What is woke Christianity, and um, is it a true or is it a false gospel? Is it something that people can align themselves with? Is it something they, um, if it's present in their present in their church, can they still attend? Can they still support it? Uh, what is it, and then is it legitimate? Yeah. So I mean, over the last, you know, well, in every generation, I'll say that, you know, there has been the true remnant, and there have always been, you know, false gospels coming up. Um, you know, in the last, I would say, 100 to 150 years, there are things that our church as a whole today has had to deal with. You know, from 150 years ago, it was the higher criticism movement in the German school of theology, uh, which basically started to look at, you know, the Bible and dissect it in so many different ways to the point that, uh, you know, Paul didn't write any of those letters. Um, you know, well, Galatians has this style of writing and, you know, Titus is this, you know. Well, of course, I'm going to talk to two different people in different ways, and especially when I'm just writing, you know, three chapters here and six chapters there, you know. Um, so from there, what really started to happen is it took away the authoritative understanding about the nature of Scripture. And really, man started to become 
you know, the final arbiter of truth. And then from there in the early 1900s, we got to see what was the social gospel, where people started saying, well, we just need to go love on people because that's the greatest commandment, love God and, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And that loving on people came in terms of, you know, dealing with societal ills, you know, going out and helping the poor, you know, helping the widows, going to the hospitals, you know, doing, you know, building new hospitals. The church was behind, you know, the healthcare movement from the beginning in America, which is another interesting aspect. Um, but what we've seen now is that a lot of those movements have built on each other. Um, the, the, the next movement from that was the liberation theology movement, which then got us into progressive Christianity, which got us today to the woke Christianity. And the woke Christianity is basically now a, a full-on um, you know, adap- adaptation of critical race theory. So they're bringing all of that into the church in such a way that um, you know, critical race theory at its root is basically redefining reality uh, to you know, one common denominator. There are the oppressed and the oppressors. Those that have power, those that don't have power. And so critical race theory is also called cultural Marxism because Marxism, if you look at it when it was first thought, was mainly a socio more of an economic theory, the yeah. haves versus the haves-nots. Uh, but it never really played out all that well because we have 100 million dead over the last 100-plus years since it's been tried. So... There have been people who've been thinking, okay, well, why hasn't Marxism been successful? And and they are the ones that came up with what, what is now known as the Frankfurt School of Thought. Well, uh, we've done Marxism the wrong way. We need to you know do it in culture, not just in economics. So... Here we go with pastors and theologians and you know progressive thought leaders who are taking woke Christianity and they've changed the gospel because now Christ didn't just come to save us from our sin. You know, he came to save those who are oppressed. He's our liberator. He's, you know, Jesus is the one with the original fist up in the air instead of the outstretched arms that were actually pierced with the nails on the cross. And so from here, they start to apply CRT within the church. And when you start seeing the applications, uh, I mean, it's, it's just ludicrous. Um, I mean, you see everything from not just the perversion of the gospel, but then to even, well, who's going to preach this Sunday? You know, well, we need to have equal representation of all groups. So if we have 30% Hispanics in our church and 20%, you know, African Americans and 30% Romanians, well, you need to have affirmative action, equal representation instead of wait wait up, this is God's church. God has the Holy Spirit who endows and blesses and gifts members from the church. Some, you know, are apostles, some are uh, teachers, some are pastors, some are evangelists, you know. What happens if the Holy Spirit chooses to bless the three Hispanic people to be the pastor, you know, the pastor and co-pastor, you know, of the church? Is that church now 
blatantly racist because there are no blacks being represented or no Romanians being represented, you know. So the ramifications of cultural race theory within woke Christianity uh, are, are endless and they completely take away the, the leading of the Holy Spirit in the church. And it now becomes strictly doing everything from a, you know, oppressor to oppress mentality. And, you know, long story short, it's, it's leading to a false gospel. It's taking matters in their own hands as opposed to trusting God. And um, I think one of the one of the signs and symptoms we see from this, you know, CRT, uh, woke Christianity that kind of came out of this progressive Christianity movement, um, is the tolerance of sin and sinful behavior. And now they're tolerating different sinful lifestyles They're tolerating, um, actions and, uh, different things that, uh, were not tolerable back in the day. And, um, it's, it's led to a false gospel. And now we have people, um, you know, well-renowned pastors who fall into this in this category of universalists where they're not even condemning sin in their sermons Mm -hmm. in their churches and they're kind of misleading them to think that you know we're all going to be saved in the end because of x y and z and then that's just the that is a perversion of the gospel that is completely opposite of what jesus came to do and what jesus said in the word of god so it's it's crazy to see how uh it's it's all leading to this And and it's a false empathy yeah. You know, I've heard the word empathy and compassion over and over and over, you know, from secular and, and you know, r- religious leaders. And there is no true empathy or compassion without truth. And people are willing to uh, deny truth in order to demonstrate their empathy. And that's such a hypocrisy. Um, and w- when that happens within the church, it's even worse. And, um, you know, in our church, we're starting right now um, doing the book of Revelations uh, verse by verse. And we've been going through the last six years, the entire New Testament. So we finally get to Revelations uh, at perfect timing, dealing yeah. with everything we're dealing with. And as I've been reading through it, I mean, chapters two and three deal with seven churches, you know, and, and Jesus pinpoints their sins with such accuracy and most of them are sexual sins you know because that's where you know unfortunately our our humanity and our desire for pleasure and our lust takes us to all the time Um, but jesus is clear in his teachings you don't you're not accepting you know um by you're not loving people when you're accepting their sin you have to repent, and over and over, the word repent is being used uh, to those churches. So, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. <laughs> so, as we're wrapping up this episode, um, what is what is the end game for those who are sincerely following this social justice gospel, or the people who have aligned themselves with Black Lives Matter? Uh, what is what is your driving point to those people or or Christians who are questioning whether or which side to fall on, and uh, and also what are some resources that they can find to kind of get a better understanding of what's really going on? Sure. Well, I'll I'll try to frame it this way. I I think most people are sincere. 
I, because I think BLM has hit a nerve because nobody wants to be called a racist, you know, so they, they want to do their best to, to you know, be kind and, and generous to each other, even though that's not in our human nature. We're sinful. Um, so people want to, you know, be known that they are not racist. Um, so they, they're trying to figure out ways and especially for Christians, you know, they want to be known as, okay, we're, we're part of that process of reconciliation. You know, God entrusted to us the ministry of reconciliation, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. And so what do, what do we do with it? Well, does the end justify the means? And that's where the true gospel versus the false gospel have a different way of achieving the ends, right? So the means of woke Christianity, I've been reading on some of these woke pastors, and it's like full-on reparations, you know, if, if, if we don't do that. And they use examples from the Bible, like the example of Zacchaeus, you know. Zacchaeus paid back four times everybody, you know, he, he stole from. Well, that was, you know, one example. That's exactly how Zacchaeus felt. He obviously had the money to pay back four times. Uh, is Jesus demanding that of all of us when we confess our sin and come to him that we go now back and, and you know, repay uh, in, in the same way? No, I mean, you have every right to. But now it's like, how do I know how much to pay this person? Uh, you know, it, it's just crazy things that are being said. Um, when at the end of the day, really for us as Christians, um, you know, if we're truly interested and if we, if we do see that there are, you know, racial tensions and there needs to be, you know, uh, a harmony and unity within the body of Christ, uh, I think we have many other biblical ways we can go about doing it. Um, you know, I've, I, I think in the Romanian church, you can, uh, and even in, in Romania, you can kind of see it with our own struggles with the, the gypsy population yeah. uh, and how the church handled that and how, you know, there were some very wise pastors that I had heard in the past on, you know, how they started ministries within those um, communities and, you know, brought in education and, and brought in so many other things to be able to raise them out of the poverty that they were experiencing. Um, and, you know... It, Jesus said, we'll have the poor. The poor will be with us as, as long as we, you know, there is, you know, uh, humanity around. Um, so we can go about doing these things in a very biblical way. Um, most of the time, when you think about all of these things, you know, the, the world wants you to go and, you know, have their solution applied. You know, it's reparation is divest of your whiteness is, you know, stop talking because you're white and, you know, minorities need to talk. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't say that. And the Bible says that really, you know, the source of truth is God. So every time, you know, somebody's speaking that is speaking truth, there, there's power in that. So what I would say is, um, you know, if, if you do feel like, you know, you want to be part of that solution to, to racial tension. Um, there are many ways we can do it biblically as a church. It first has to start off with prayer, because especially in this tense environment, 
the last thing you want is just to start another war. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so prayer definitely. Uh, may the Holy Spirit lead you. You know, after that, um, you know, make sure you are you are empowered, called to go and do that ministry. Um, also, what I would say is, um, you know, there there are many good biblical organizations out there. Um, so, for example, two of them that I've come across is one, Every Black Life Matters. Um, it's uh, everyblacklifematters.info. Uh, you know, this was started by two gentlemen um, here in California. And um, it, it's refreshing to see how they come at this from the biblical perspective. Uh, there's also another organization called Conservative Clergy of Color, org and once again they are trying to come at this from the biblical worldview and making sure that they um, confront the lies of BLM um, I, I think there are there is also one more that I came across um, she's on Facebook uh, she's an, a Christian apologist uh, the Center for Biblical Unity Monique and I forget her last name right now uh, but she's doing a lot of these kind of you know talks and podcasts on her own show. Uh, she is a she's a black lady and uh, she talks pretty bluntly about all of these things. But again, from a biblical worldview. Um, so all in all, I would say you know don't get you know wrapped around the axle of, of what the world is trying to shove down you know our throat. Um, we have the truth. We have the source of truth, and uh, to me, one of the earliest things that made me feel uneasy was, has God ever used in the past? You know, I, I know God has used wicked, you know, nations in the past to judge his own nation, you know, to judge Israel. But when you look in the New Testament era, has he ever used, you know, the the devil, so to speak, to correct, you know, our theology, you know? no. So when I look at BLM and them trying to tell us what the Bible really means, um, you know, Jesus kind of put it this way when the Pharisees accused him that he had a demon. And he said, does, you know, Beelzebul cast himself out? Can a house divided stand, you know? Um, so it's very obvious that we're, we're not on the same side. BLM and Christianity is not on the same side. And God, I, I know for sure, is not using BLM to rebuke his own church to think more biblically, you know? Um, so I'll keep it at that. <laughs> That's a great point. That last point where, yeah, God would, I mean, if God's going to, he would use a way different way, uh, you know, different means of correcting Correct. the church. Yep. I do think that a lot of what's going on, that you know, unrest and the pandemic um, is kind of a calling for the church to get back in uh, into the services, get, get get back out there, kind of you know a spiritual awakening. I do think he uses trials in our lives for that, but um, I yeah, it's very. I mean, it's he's not going to use something like this to um, correct this quote unquote social injustice that is going on in our society. So, George, thank you so much for being on here. It was uh, definitely a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, it was just it's super interesting to to tackle these different topics. I know um, 
I mean, you first started getting more involved with uh, the whole education aspect of it. That's where, um, you know, especially as a father of four children, uh, that's where God really convicted you to go and step and make a difference. So uh, it was good to have you on Black Lives Matter. And, you know, maybe in the future we'll, we'll tackle another topic. But I, I do truly appreciate you being here. And if people want to find you on online, on the Internet, where can they find you? Well, right now it's either on my uh, my personal Facebook or um, go to protectourkidsnow.org. Uh, on that website, there's a lot of information that um, the team of parents that I get to work with, we put out a lot of info there, a lot of videos. We have even like PragerU-style short videos. Um, and so, yeah, protectourkidsnow.org. Perfect, and I will definitely... Uh tag that in in the post as well um as for us you can find us on our instagram at the potter's house uh, you can also reach us at our email the potter's house at gmail.com uh we are available on most streaming platforms itunes spotify wherever you can find podcasts please share with a friend and like i've been saying these last few weeks um whether you listen to it on itunes spotify or another streaming platform uh if you have an iphone please go to your podcast app Click on this podcast and then go down and tap the stars. It would really help with the exposure of the podcast. Um, I've been seeing a a lot more uh, recently, so thank you guys for doing that, and please keep it up. If you want to leave a a written review, I would definitely appreciate it. I will read it, and uh, I will respond uh, to you um, if that is the case. So thank you guys so much for tuning in, for supporting, and we will see you next time.